Tyre's Capernaum, which Jesus did a lot of his ministry. Tyre is here. It's a seaport city, about 35 miles from Capernaum to Tyre. And then Jesus went from Tyre to Sidon, which was another 20 miles. And then he went east and south, and he came down into the Decapolis. So today, we are looking in the Decapolis region, uh, which is where Jesus is, where he does the feeding of the 4,000. Now, what's significant about this is the fact that the feeding of the 5,000 happened on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So it happened on the western side, which would have been where the Jewish people lived. And the Decapolis over in here is where the Gentiles lived. Remember, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And last week, we looked at the Syrophoenician woman who had the daughter who was possessed by an evil spirit, and Jesus cast out that evil spirit for that Gentile woman. He was showing that the power of the gospel is not just for the Jew, but it's for the Gentile. He was crossing not only geographical boundaries, but ethnic boundaries, religious boundaries, and so should we. We should not allow race, ethnicity, or anything like that. The gospel is available to everyone, and Jesus is trying to show that in his mission. He came to cure spiritual deafness, as we saw last week, where if you look back in chapter 7, Verse 31 through 37, he heals the man who is deaf and mute. Why? Jesus cures not only physical deafness, he cures spiritual deafness. He's the one who can open our eyes and ears to the truth. And he did that. In verse 37, of, look in chapter 7 of verse 37. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus came to do that, to bring spiritual hearing to us. He's doing that through his teaching. He's doing that through his miracles. He is doing that. And we're going to see later in chapter 8, he's doing the feeding of the 4,000. We're going to look at that. But if you peek ahead to the very next story, Jesus heals a blind man. Why? To give us spiritual sight. And he sandwiches in between that the story of the feeding of the 4,000 to show the gospel is the bread of life. The bread of life is to be given to everyone, and there's more than enough to go around. There are basketfuls left over. So he's showing us not just physical things that he's doing, he's trying to show us a spiritual application of what he is trying to tell us. So he came to be a witness to the truth to cure spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness and muteness where we can speak the truth. All right, you can go back to the other slide now. So I wanted you to kind of see that region. So there is a persistent spiritual blindness and a temporary spiritual blindness. We are going to see that in this story as well as the next story. So let's read down through this together, beginning in Mark 8, chapter, or verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. 
Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketsfuls fulls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he let them, left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, What are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you still have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And then let's go ahead and read this next account. Then they came to Bethsaida, which is on the western side, uh, back across the Sea of Galilee. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't go into this village. So in these accounts, we see a persistent spiritual blindness and a temporary spiritual blindness. The persistent spiritual blindness means the person continues to live in spiritual darkness because of their ignorance or rejection of the truth. They have an obstinate attitude and they are resolute in their rejection that they will not believe. Many people who are engaged in this kind of lifestyle and behavior do so. They turn their backs on God because they're involved in sin that they don't want to give up. They're involved in sin that brings pleasure to them, and they would rather indulge in that pleasure for a season than give it up. 
However, that pleasure will be short-lived. Their unbelief is continuous, endless, and relentless. And where do we see this permanent, this, this idea of this persistent spiritual blindness? We see it in the Pharisees. Every miracle that Jesus did, every teaching that he did, they rejected it over and over again. Persistently, continuously, endlessly, and relentlessly rejected the truth. They did not give serious thought to God's revelation. The second type is temporary spiritual blindness, which is short-lived. It is not persistent, but it will eventually, the person will see the light and understand the truth that God desires them to know. And where do we see this example in the disciples? The disciples are trying to learn and trying to understand and trying to embrace the gospel, but they have this temporary blindness where they're not seeing the truth, and Jesus eventually reveals it to them. Why did Jesus come? The prophet Isaiah in chapter 35 says when Jesus comes the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert he's saying Jesus is coming to give sight to the blind and give ears to hear the truth and that's why you and I need to be praying that God will open the eyes of the unbelieving and open the ears, the deafness, so that people will hear the truth. A number of years ago, it's been already a few years ago that I, I spoke to my neighbor. And his confession to me was, he said, I've never read the Bible. And I told him, I said, well, let me throw out a proposition to you. I said, I'm not a high-pressure person because I don't like pressure put on me and I don't like to put pressure on other people. But I said, I will tell you what I will do. My invitation to you is this. If you are willing, I will go get my Bible and come over and open it up with you and sit down and share with you what I know. Well, he didn't say yes and he didn't say no. So I think the door is still open. Um, but he hasn't taken me up on it. But he did say, don't give up on me. And we shouldn't give up on people. God is wanting to open eyes. So what do we see in the passage here, the feeding of the 4,000? The first thing we see, notice the words of Jesus in verse 2. I have compassion for these people. So the first thing we see here is Jesus demonstrating care about our needs. What needs did you come into this sanctuary with this morning? We don't come in here needless, I don't think. We all have needs. What needs did you come in here with? The thing we see about the compassion of Jesus and that I want us to recognize is his perfect knowledge of our needs. Notice what he says here. I have compassion for those people. They've already been with me three days. They don't have anything to eat. If I send them home hungry, they're going to collapse. He has perfect knowledge of their situation. Do you know he has perfect knowledge of your situation? And do you know you don't? 
How many hairs are on your head? Probably a few less after you got out of the shower. But the point is, Jesus knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about us. He has perfect knowledge. And he wants us to bring those to him. Look what he says here in Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is no temptation that you and I go through that he doesn't know about. The strength of it, the power of it, he knows about it. And we can bring it to him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's given us an open invitation to come to him with our needs. Do we bring them to him? He wants us to. What are you going through that he can't help you with? He knows, he understands our weakness, our fears, our doubts, our anxieties, our insecurities. He knows about every one of them. And he wants to help us. Here's what he says in Matthew. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Notice the Gentiles. Seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. That's a comforting thought, that God knows. He has perfect knowledge of my situation. Many of you got the text this week that my father-in-law is in the hospital. And it looks like they will probably be moving him this coming week to hospice care. God knows perfectly where my father-in-law is. He knows perfectly where we are. All the days ordained for us were written in God's book before one of them came to be. We do not have to live in fear, in worry, anxiety. God knows. And that's what he's showing his compassion. He has perfect knowledge to execute his mercy and his grace to come to our aid when we need it. He also has perfect knowledge, and here's the harder part. He has perfect knowledge of when to withhold information from us. Have you ever had that? Where you feel a little in the dark? I have felt that before. It's not a good feeling. But you know what? It's right where God wants us sometimes. He wants us in the dark so that we, our, our faith is not in what we see, but it's in the God who does see for us. So he goes on to say this, the whole idea of compassion comes from the Latin word to feel sympathy, to suffer with. We see it over and over even in the Old Testament. And then we see his perfect love. His perfect love. Look in Exodus, the Lord passed before him. Proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy 4, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. His love is consistent. It does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Our situations change, but God does not. We see His perfect love. His perfect love then is demonstrated in His ability to supply our needs. The second thing we see here is Jesus dispensing sufficient food to meet their needs. Notice what it says in verse 4. They've come a long distance, the end of verse 3. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? He says, we're in a remote place. There's no human solution. There's no human answer. There's no man-made resolution to this problem. Maybe you feel like you're in that position right now. There's no man-made answer. There's no human solution to your dilemma. You're in a remote place. God sees you. He has perfect knowledge and he has perfect love for your situation. He has them right where he wants them in a feeling of helplessness and powerlessness. And that's where he wants us as well. It's a remote place. It's not by a nearby market. But notice his perfect supply. Look down at verse 8. He prays for the food. They bring it forth. The people ate and were satisfied. Is that perfect supply or what? There were basketfuls left over. Interestingly enough, the word here used for the baskets is different than the word used in the feeding of the 5,000 baskets. The word used here is talking about a huge basket, the kind of basket that Paul, the apostle, was let down in over the wall of Damascus. A person got inside of it. That's how big those baskets, they were like a hamper. It was a huge thing. But the ones in um, the feeding of the 5,000 were smaller baskets that they would carry around. They would carry their food in like a, a lunchbox, as it were. And so we see the power of God's supply. Incredible that he supplies. It reminds me of a story I heard a number of years ago. A family was traveling, and uh, as they were traveling, they were driving down the road, and it was late at night, and they were out in a remote place, and the car broke down. There weren't a lot of resources. They were in a remote place. They're like, what in the world? And um, almost out of nowhere, in the dark, appears this man who lived in the neighborhood, and he says, um, can I help you? And, uh, well, after they looked under the hood, they realized that there was a broken alternator belt. He's like, we well, don't happen to have an extra alternator belt, do you? <laughs> and he says, well, let's go down and look in my garage. So they go to the man's house, and he opens the garage, and he flips on the light, and... They're hanging there in the garage. Now, conservatively speaking, there was about 5,000 belts. <laughs> the man was blown away. God supplied in a remote place. 
See, sometimes we find ourselves broken down in a remote place in the dark, and we wonder, where is God? He is there. He is there for us. He doesn't always answer right away, um, but he will answer in his time. Sometimes he is teaching us a greater level of faith when we can't see what's around the bend. We know who's around the bend. That's what's more important. He is around the bend. The Apostle Paul said it this way, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The problem, though, is we don't recognize, we are blind sometimes to our own needs. We don't always know what we need. We are blind to it. And it takes sometimes God putting us in the darkness to really show us the light so we can see. We also see God's supply even for the Israelites in their rebellion. And I just want to take a moment and look at these uh, passages. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 16, it says, But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. Is that the kind of people you want to help? Well, that tends to be us. But anyhow, look what God does for them. They refused to listen, spiritual deafness, failed to remember, hardened conscience, because when you are spiritually deaf, it hardens the conscience, because you're not taking in truth, the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Oh, there's wisdom. Return to their slavery. You see what I say? We're blind to our own needs. How ridiculous. Why would somebody want to go back to slavery? Well, how many people go back? They, they're, they're trying to come out of this addiction, but they go back to it again and again and again back to that slavery because their spiritual deafness and blindness, hardness of heart. But you, it says, are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf, they made an idol and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud supply and did not cease to guide them on their path supply, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take supply, perfect supply. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, supply. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, supply. You gave them water for their thirst, supply. <laughs> for 40 years you sustained them in the desert, supply. They lacked nothing, supply. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen, supply, supply, supply. <laughs> Love, compassion, perfect knowledge. Does God care? What are you having a pity party about in your life right now? 
What do you think that God can't do for you right now? You're in a remote place. He will supply your need. He has you right where he wants you, helpless and powerless, so he can show his power and his greatness. That's our God. I think that got in there twice somehow. I'm not sure how that happened. Um, So I'll just go through that. And then look what they did. They captured fortified cities in a rich land. They took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, supply, vineyards. I mean, just go on and on. Olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance. God's supply. So they ate and were filled just like the feeding of the 4,000. They're in the wilderness. They ate and were filled and became fat and delighted in in your great goodness. The faithfulness of God. I hope that's an encouragement to you. So then, the next thing we see after Jesus does this incredible miracle, what do we see? Persistent blindness. We see the debilitating blindness of the Pharisees. They, they do not get it. The Pharisees came, like they usually do in verse 11, and begin to question Jesus they, to test him, to tempt him, really. They asked him for a sign from heaven. And oftentimes that's the way they proved something being supernatural. Well, show me something in the sky. Jesus sighs deeply because he is grieved and disappointed over their perpetual blindness, their refusal to believe, their rejection of the truth. He says, why did this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given it. Why? Because they have persistently rejected everything I have shown them and everything I have told them. They don't deserve to hear more or see more. So he leaves them, and he gets back in the boat, and he crosses to the other side. John MacArthur gives three um, aspects of the Pharisees' blindness that I want to share with you that I think is very insightful. Three aspects of the Pharisees' blindness and why it is persistent. Number one, their hatred for the light. Jesus was teaching the truth, and they hated the truth. They did not want to hear the truth. So they, their hatred for the light. People don't want to hear the truth. And it's not always easy. I've had times where I've had people come in for counsel. I've had couples come in for counsel. And maybe they're not living right. And I have to share with them what God's word says. And they don't want to always hear that. But it's the truth. Because it's the truth that will set people free. Young people don't want to hear children obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. What do we see in our day today? We see the disrespect of kids toward their parents. That's a rejection for the light. It's not just you think it's a cool attitude, but it's a rejection of the light. 
Young people think they can live any way they want. They can live in immorality and indecency. That's a rejection of the light. We have people wanting to pick their own gender today. Well, I can just pick my own gender. That's a rejection of the light, and it's a slap in the face of God. He created you the gender he wanted you to be. We have people who practice things that are against the light. The Pharisees, as well as the Sadducees, hated Jesus and his message. The second aspect that we see is this perpetual idea. Well, and here's the idea of Pharaoh. What did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart, and he did not let the people go. And every time there was another plague, he hardened his heart. He kept changing his mind. Oh, the second one didn't maybe show up there. Oh, here. I got it listed number one. That should be number two. I did learn to count. Number two, they rejected additional light with greater intensity. And that's what Pharaoh did. He rejected additional light with greater intensity. And thirdly, their constant rejection of the light. They just constantly rejected the light. What did Jesus call them in Matthew 23? You blind fools. Your persistent blindness, spiritual blindness, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The discernment was out the window. Jesus then, he goes on to warn the disciples of the yeast. Notice down in verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Some commentators say, well, that's probably referring to Jesus. Well, I don't know for sure if it is, but it could be. But the point was, they didn't have much bread with them, and they were concerned about where they're going to get their next meal. Now think about that. He just fed 4,000 people (laughs) with a few loaves and some fish, and they're worried about where they're getting their next meal. Do you think they got it yet? That's temporary blindness. He says, be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, they think he's talking about bread. Because look what they say. They discussed this with one another and said it is because we have no bread. No, they still don't get it. They are temporarily spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. They're not getting what Jesus is trying to tell them. He's saying, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. What is the yeast he is concerned about? It is their hypocrisy, their rejection of the truth, and their commitment to tradition. Remember, we looked a couple weeks ago, tradition or truth. They were embracing tradition rather than truth. And therefore, they practice hypocrisy because it was all based on their external behavior and no internal change of the heart. And I can show you, if you take your Bible real quick, or you can listen to this, in uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 1, the very second half of verse 1, it says, "Be Be on your guard, Jesus said, against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
So he was concerned because they were tied to their traditions and hypocrisy. Their traditions trumped truth. They did whatever was necessary to maintain their external practices while their hearts were unchanged. Jesus questions their discussion then. Look what he says down in verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them, What are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are you still spiritually blind? And is still your conscience hardened? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many pieces did you pick up? Seven. He says, don't you still understand what I'm trying to tell you? It's a spiritual application. And so there was spiritual blindness to them. He was trying, and then, so what does Jesus do? He provides a living illustration through healing this blind man to say, I can open your eyes to see. And so what does he do? He defeats blindness to give a man sight. Notice what he says. They come to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And then when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now here's the question. Why did Jesus have to do it twice? Was he a tough case? Was he struggling to bring healing to this man because it didn't work the first time? No. He was showing that there is a gradual vision as we begin to, as God unfolds his revelation to us, our vision is gradual as well. We slowly come to see who Jesus is. The Pharisees never did because of their persistent blindness. The disciples did because of their commitment and love for Jesus and wanting to know the truth. Jesus was slowly opening their eyes to the truth. And so that's why we must pray for people who are in spiritual darkness faithfully and fervently because eventually God could open their eyes. He's the only one who can You and I have no ability to open anyone's eyes. When Paul was sent to the Gentiles, Paul said about opening their eyes to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And what we have to remember is the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them the danger for all of us is to live with persistent blindness and we can do that 
we can do that. We can shut out the truth and we can go through all of the motions of church and Christianity and have no heart change. That there's no change in me. And so here's my question. Jesus went out of the region of the Jews to minister to the Gentiles. That was an outflow of the gospel. Who is God leading you to that may be outside the parameters of what you've ever established? You hang with certain people. Well, I don't, I don't associate with those people. I don't talk to that person. I don't. Are there people even in the church that you don't know? Because you run in one door and you run out another? By the way, there's a reason. It's called fear. It's called insecurity. It's called closing my heart to the gospel. God wants us to open our hearts to the gospel. If we know Jesus Christ, we need to be reaching out to the lost, the spiritually blind and the spiritually deaf, praying for them that they might come to know the truth. When we look over, what did Jesus say he came to do in Luke 4? Listen to this in verse 18. This comes right out of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He wants to bring sight to the blind. That's his desire. And he chooses to use you and I to do that through his spirit. The time is short. There are many, many people in Huron and in our community who don't know Jesus, who are spiritually blind. And we need to do everything we can to try to reach them with the gospel of Christ, to go outside the parameters that we have set, to connect with them, to share the truth with them. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Again, Jesus is slowly on this journey, opening our eyes to the truth. The danger of hearing truth is to walk out unchanged. Say, you know, this is how I am, this is who I am, this is just the way it is. We are all, in a very real sense, products of our past. None of us can go back and erase things that have happened in our past. Painful things, hurtful things. But we all have them. But Jesus can heal your hurt. He loves you. He can build your trust. He's trustworthy. He has proven himself by his perfect knowledge, his perfect love, his perfect supply. 
You might feel like you're in a remote place right now, but you are not beyond the vision and provision of God. He wants to meet your need. It's amazing to me how many people say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. But that's about as far as it goes. You ask him, well, what are you reading in the scriptures these days? Oh, I don't have time to do that. Um, tell me about your prayer life. Well, let's talk about the weather. Fellowshipping with God's people is paramount. Maybe you're a young person here this morning. You don't respect your parents. You don't respect your teachers. You don't respect authority. That's a rejection of the light. You're going to cut your own path. Perhaps even in private, you joke about Christianity because you think it's a joke. That's a rejection of the truth. God wants to do a work in every one of us. Every one of us has an element of blindness, including myself. God is slowly opening our eyes, opening our ears so that we can hear. We can hear from the Lord, but we can also hear the cry of those yet in darkness to bring them the truth. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to invite Jesus into your heart and life. You were born in sin. You are headed for an eternity called hell apart from Christ. That's reality. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven. He paid the price, the penalty for our sin in full, that we could be forgiven and have a personal relationship with Christ. It's not baptism. It's not church attendance. It's not doing good things. It's believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is your mission? You're a believer in Jesus. What is your mission? Who is he calling you to reach with the gospel? How are you intentionally hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.